Well, let's continue our study in Romans chapter 8. If you will, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Here the Apostle Paul is expounding in great detail what it means to be under God's grace. Romans chapter 8. Back in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said that we are no longer slaves of sin, but we have become slaves to God, and we have our fruit unto righteousness, leading to holiness. But the Apostle Paul didn't explain how we're going to do that. He just told us that's our new mission, our new goal. Our new status and our new standing. We've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have become the slaves of God. And we're told not to let sin rule and reign in our mortal bodies to obey it in its lust and in its passions. In chapter 6, Paul does not say how we're going to do that. And then in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul uh, notices that there's a problem. He looks at his life and sees that while he has the desire to please God and he wants to please God, he sees another, another member warring against the law of his mind and bringing in, him into captivity to the law of sin. He recognizes there is this problem with indwelling sin, this indwelling evil impulse. And then in chapter 8, we're told how we can live the Christian life. It's not in our own strength, it's not by our own means, it's by means of God's empowering Holy Spirit, which is given to us as a gift. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Apostle Paul announces with great joy and great fervor, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. No threat of enduring God's wrath on our sins. No threat of divine punishment. We're no longer uh, guilty and liable for our sins. All our sins were laid on Jesus. And God has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is described in verse 2 as the law or the power of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus who has set us free from the law and the power of sin and death. And so the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that every believer has the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit's work and ministry to allow us and to enable us and to empower us not to serve sin. In fact, in verse 11, we're also told that the Holy Spirit helps us to be free from death. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that's been given to us, the same Holy Spirit that indwells us, that will also raise up our mortal bodies as well. So we have this wonderful gift from God. It's an extension and an expression of His grace and His goodness. Now we come to verse 12. And let's try to study this morning if we can, and and we'll focus on verses 12 through 17. And there's three things I want to emphasize this morning. Number one, we're debtors. Uh, Number two, we're the children of God. And number three, we're heirs. So let's try to focus on those uh, three aspects of our newfound identity in Jesus as we study these verses, verses 12 through 17. And may God help us to understand these words and to appreciate them more than ever before. So then in verse 12, we come to a therefore. In other words, what does all this mean? 
Uh, so what? Paul has been expressing all of these great truths about our newfound status and standing before God. No condemnation. We have the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit's going to help us to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And that's for all those who live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. All those who uh, have the Spirit are enabled and empowered to live according to the Spirit and they don't have to live according to the flesh anymore. While the body is still subject to death and dying, we do have the Spirit and the Spirit is all about life. So what? Well, here's the so what. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. In other words, we have a duty. We have a responsibility. We have an obligation. Or maybe I could say it this way, we have a debt to pay. We are debtors. There's a great pressing and urgent moral responsibility here that Paul has in view. We are debtors, not to the flesh, not to the sinful human nature, not to my life and in all of its creaturely weakness without God's help. No, we are debtors to live uh, not according to the flesh, And then, of course, in verse 13, he'll say that we're indebted and we're duty-bound, we're morally responsible to live according to and by means of the help of God's Holy Spirit. So the question then is, well, why are we not indebted to serve the flesh anymore? And why are we debtors or duty-bound or morally obligated to live according to the Spirit? Well, let's think about this for just a moment, and then we'll review these couple of verses before we move on. Well, the Spirit represents the gracious gift of God to us. We didn't work to get the Holy Spirit. We didn't earn the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we didn't even deserve the forgiveness of our sins. We did not even deserve this newfound standing before God, in which God pronounces a new verdict over us that says, there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None of this we have deserved. It's all a gift from God. And when God gives us gifts, we're duty-bound to say thank you to God. We're duty-bound to appreciate these gifts. We can also look at it this way. The Spirit has given us new life in Christ Jesus. The Spirit has caused us to be born again. Uh, The Spirit has quickened our soul so, so now that we're alive to God and we have eternal life. Remember back in chapter 6, verse 23? Paul said, for the wages of sin, the wages of sin, the proper pay that you have earned and you have deserved is death. But the gift of God, the gift that you did not work for, the gift that you did not earn or deserve is eternal life. And it's the Holy Spirit who oversees this newfound eternal life that we have as a gift from God. The Spirit, according to verse 2 now, chapter 8, verse 2, what has the Spirit done? The Spirit has set us free. The Spirit has set us free because we have new life uh, in relation to God and we have eternal life. The Spirit has set us free from sin. The Spirit is working to set us free from all the defiling and ill effects of sin, not only in this life, but throughout eternity. And so far, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. We are in the process of being set free from the power of sin. And someday we'll be set free from the very presence of sin. And this setting free from sin is so, so, so thorough and so complete that the Apostle Paul adds in verse 2, will also be set free from death as well. And that's not only our state of being dead to God, from which we've already been set free, but the state of these bodies that are subject to death and decay and dying, uh, they'll be raised up from the dead when Jesus comes. And so in view of God's gracious gift that he's given to us, 
in view of God's uh, salvation that he's given to us, in, in view of this uh, uh, redemption, this, this liberation, this freedom that comes to us by means of the Holy Spirit, then the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we're no longer obligated, we're no longer required to live according to the flesh. But, verse 13, notice how he goes on to say, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by means of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does Paul mean there? Well, keep in mind now, in this passage, who is it that lives according to the flesh? Who is it that can only live according to the flesh? Unbelievers, non-Christians, they don't have the Holy Spirit. How can they possibly live according to the Spirit if they don't have the Holy Spirit? On the other hand, who is it that is able to live according to the Spirit? Christians, believers, they are the ones who have been blessed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 13, to read that again, for if you are living, present tense, if you are living and constantly living according to the standard, according to the directions and the dictates of your weak, sinful human nature, you will die. You are dead in your relationship with God and you will surely die and perish in your sins because you don't have the forgiveness of God. Um, On the other hand, if by means of the Spirit you put to death, notice that's a present tense verb, you are putting to death. I like the old English translation, the the uh, King James Version of 1611, it says mortify. If you are constantly, continually, repetitively mortifying and putting to death the deeds, the misdeeds, the sinful deeds of this body, the sinful body that is still subject to death, you will live. And notice that the Apostle Paul says it's by what? By means of your own strength? No. By means of your own good intentions? No. By means of your own moral resolve? No. By means of the Spirit of God. By means of the Spirit, you put to death. You constantly, continually mortify the deeds of the body. You will live. That means uh, we have eternal life. We live in union and in fellowship with God. And if our bodies die, they will be raised from the dead. We'll enjoy life completely, fully, as God intends us to enjoy life. The Spirit is life. Left to ourselves, left to our sinful human nature, left to our flesh, bereft of God's help and His saving grace, we will die. So there's dramatic consequences here. And we have to notice those present tense words. If you live each and every day according to the flesh, you will die. But if by means of the Spirit you are constantly putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will enjoy the gift of life from God. Now why do we need to put to death the deeds of the body every day? And why do we need to live by means of the Spirit every day? Because every day we still have a fallen sinful human nature. The power and the presence of sin, you might say the evil impulse, has not been eradicated. We still have the capacity to fall into sin and disobey God. So God in His grace has given us the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to keep saying yes to sin, but we can say no to sin and say yes to the leading and the guiding of God's Holy Spirit. So the first thing we want to emphasize this morning, we're debtors. And we're debtors because we have... A new person to serve. Not only are we serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also serving. And as Paul goes on to say in verse 14, we're we're to be led by God's Holy Spirit. We we are under new management. We have new direction. and, And God has given us the power to live the Christian life. So then Paul explains even further in verse 14, For 
as many as are led. There again, that's a present tense verb. As many as are being constantly, continually, repetitively led, guided, and directed by means of the Spirit of God. These people are the sons of God. So again, I cannot help but emphasize in Paul's thinking here, every believer has the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is being empowered by God to live for God, to love God, and to serve God. God looks down and sees our pathetic human condition. God has mercy on us. Not only does he pronounce us uh, free from his wrath and and forgiven all of our sins, but God looks at our pathetic weakness and he says, I'm going to give you the gift of my Holy Spirit which is a sign and a symbol and a seal that you belong to me, that you're a child of the living God, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to guarantee all these future blessings that I'm going to pour out upon you, not only this life, but especially in the life to come when Jesus returns. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to enable you and to empower you to resist all those sinful tendencies of, of your human nature. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to, to, that's going to prompt you and encourage you just to love God and to serve God and to understand God better. How blessed we are to have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you want, just look back in chapter 5 for a moment. I don't want to gloss over this. Chapter 5, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. I think it's important for us to to understand that the Holy Spirit represents uh, a gift, a gift of God's love to us. God is showing us that He loves us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, now hope does not disappoint, and that's hope in God, putting our trust and our expectation for tomorrow in God. Hope in God does not disappoint. We'll never, we'll never be ashamed or disappointed because we put all of our hope and our confidence and our expectation for tomorrow in God. Because the love of God, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So that may mean one of two things or both. God is showing us, he he shows us and he proves us, he proves to us that he loves us by giving us the Holy Spirit. And it may also mean that the gift of the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and appreciate the love of God. Perhaps Paul means both in that verse. So we are being led by God's Holy Spirit. And since God is good, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is absolutely good. I can only conclude that to be led and guided and directed and moved and motivated every day of my life by God's Holy Spirit is a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's far better than succumbing to the evil impulses of our sinful human nature, whatever those uh, impulses may be at a given moment. Now Paul brings up another wonderful thing in verse 14. We don't want to gloss over this either. He's talked about the new, new uh, responsibility we have, uh, I might say a new debt to pay in terms of being led by the Spirit. But in verse 14, he brings up something else. He says, these, these people who are being led by the Spirit, who are they? What are they? They are the sons of God. They are the sons and daughters of God. They are the children of God. So now Paul brings up a sort of a new thought that he hasn't brought up before in Romans chapter 8. Wow. We're children of God. In fact, he mentions sons of God in verse 14, and then in the following verses, he mentions children of God. I don't think he's making a difference. He's just using different words. And think for a moment what it means to be a son of God, or a daughter of God, or a child of God. It means that God loves us, and he cares for us more than we'll ever know. It means that God welcomes us with open arms. 
just picture, picture if you will, in a very healthy, wholesome family, a, a young child running, maybe a young child that's fallen down out in the yard while playing and scraped up and banged up its knee, and the, the child goes running to the loving open arms of a father, waiting to hug the child and care for the child and, and get out the disinfectant and bandage up that knee. Or a child that wakes up in the middle of the night as a nightmare and can't sleep and, and goes running to dad. Dad with open arms consoles the child and brings comfort. We are now children of God. Thinking back to Romans 5, what were we in Romans 5? We were weak, we were without strength, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies of God. Oh, that's all past now. That, that's, that's not true anymore. That's all changed. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law and the power of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. And now, now, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Let's go on to verse 14. As the Apostle Paul continues thinking about what it means to have the Holy Spirit in relation to being sons and daughters and children of God. Notice in verse 15, we keep having this word come up for, for, for. Paul keeps explaining and elaborating and clarifying what he's saying here. Uh, For, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you did receive, you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. So I think what Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit that we received is not a spirit. It's not the spirit from God that's going to bring us again back into bondage. It's not going to bring us back into the bondage of sin and evil and vice and all of the self-induced misery that goes along with all of my sin and evil and vice. Now, back in chapter 6, we were told that we have become the slaves of God, but that was presented as a good thing, being slaves of God so that we can pursue righteousness and have the end result a life of holiness and total consecration to God. That was presented as a good thing. I don't think Paul has that in mind here. What he's talking about here is being slaves and going back to live our lives under the power of sin and death. Remember back in in verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2, we were set free by means of the Spirit. We were set free from sin and death. And so the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit that we have received is not the Spirit of God that's going to go bring us back, back into bondage, back into misery, back into anguish, back into the, and and being under the power of sin and evil and vice and all of the misery that's associated with that, that will lead to fear, being afraid of the judgment of God, being afraid of the wrath of God on our sins. No, that's all past. That's all gone. The Holy Spirit, the ministry in our lives is completely different as he explains in verse 15. Rather, the spirit that we have received is the spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit that has worked to adopt us and bring us into the family of God. And we might think of adoption as as being inducted into the family of God and assuming all of the rights, all of the privileges of sonship which we did not possess by nature, and we did not deserve. When a child is adopted into a new family, that child enjoys all of the benefits of love from mom and dad. That child enjoys all of the privileges 
of being in that home and in that family. Not only the love and the care and the support, but all of the provisions, all of the food in the refrigerator the child gets to eat. And the the child is well loved and well clothed and fed and cared for, as, as well as disciplined and guided. To be adopted into the family of God means we become God's children and we enjoy all the rights and the privilege and the benefits of being God's children, which we did not possess by nature because initially we were the children of the devil, not the children of God. We've been set free from all of that. We've been inducted into the family of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We didn't deserve it. Wow, how good it is be adopted into the family of God. You might, I suppose, just for a minute imagine a very, a very uh, maybe underprivileged child, a child who, who doesn't really have a, a loving, stable home. Perhaps mom and dad are gone. Perhaps they were killed in an accident. Perhaps something terrible or tragic has happened. And that child has had a, had a, very, a, very, a very difficult life, a very hard life. And then some loving parents adopt that child into their home. And, and now that child experiences, perhaps for the first time in a long time, that child experiences love, unconditional love. And they experience guidance and care and mercy and compassion. That's what it's like for us Christians. We have been adopted into the family of God. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to say to us, I love you, you're mine, you're my children, you're my sons and my daughters, you belong to me and I love you and I care for you and you can't possibly imagine all the good things I have in store for you. Verse 15 again, you did not receive the spirit of bondage, the spirit of slavery, again to fear. No, 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 we're not being brought back to our old sinful past to live in in sin and all of that self-indicted human misery and the fear that goes along with it, but rather we have received the Holy Spirit that oversees our adoption. The Holy Spirit has adopted us into the family of God and as children of God, the Spirit is there to tend to us and oversee our adoption experience and all the the years in this life and eternity that we are standing as, as the children of God. And what specifically does the Holy Spirit help us to do according to verse 15? The Spirit enables us and empowers us and moves us and motivates us to cry out to God and say to God, Abba, Father. I guess in Spanish it's Papi. (laughs) Or sometimes people say in English, Papa, or Father, or Daddy. That's what the Spirit's ministry is. We're part of the family of God now. And the Spirit wants to assure us and reassure us that we're God's children, that we're loved by God. We're loved with an everlasting love. We are God's. God has claimed us for himself, and Jesus has claimed us for himself. We cry out, Abba, Father. If you will, keep your finger in Romans 8, and if you will, just go over to Galatians 4 for a moment. Galatians 4. This is an important parallel passage, Galatians 4. We'll come back to Romans 8 in a minute. Uh, But this verse also speaks of being sons of God and what that means. And Paul is going to really say the same thing over in Romans chapter 8. So if you're in Galatians 4, Galatians 4, and if we'll notice verse 4, 4 through 7, Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to rescue or to save those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, when we become redeemed, we've been set free and liberated from sin, both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. We are now adopted into the family of God. 
we have received the gift of adoption, which means we receive all of the benefits and privileges and rights of being loved by God and, and God standing over us as a father and we standing before God and relating to God as a child or as a son or a daughter. So that we might receive, receive the adoption as sons. There are six now. And because you are sons, sons and daughters of God's children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The spirit is given to us so that we can relate to God affectionately. And we can relate to God without fear, uh, without drawing back. Without being uh, afraid, we can relate to God and go running to God knowing that He loves us and cares for us more than we'll ever know. We can run to God and cry out, Daddy, Daddy, Poppy, Father. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Uh, We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the the spirit of adoption enables us and allows us to cry out Abba, Father. And before I look at the next verse, let's just imagine for a moment a very very wealthy businessman. He owns a great big company, great big factory. When that wealthy owner of a business dies, does he usually leave an inheritance to all the employees or just to his family, to his sons and daughters? he normally would leave his inheritance to his sons and his daughters. He doesn't typically leave an inheritance to all the employees. They were just workers or slaves, if you will. Um, they, they, they didn't have any family connection. They didn't have any rights that a son or a daughter would have or expect. And so now look at the, back to Romans chapter 8, if you will, verse 16. The Spirit himself... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our human spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's just look at verse 16 first. So the Spirit's really driving home the ministry of God's Holy Spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. So what's one of the roles or one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we have in the New Testament? Is to bear witness with our own human spirit and to reassure us we are a child of God. We have been redeemed. We have been justified. We have been reconciled. God loves us. God has forgiven us. We belong to Him. He'll never let us go. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to reassure us because in our human nature, we often doubt our salvation. We often, how can I be sure I'm saved? I'm not perfect yet. I still sin. I still transgress. I don't always do God's will. Sometimes I grow cold and don't always have a passion for the things of God like I should. We can look at our own lives and and we we, we can see how far short we fall at pleasing God. The devil is known in the scripture as the accuser of the brethren. All kinds of doubts and fears might arise, but the Spirit's been given to us to, to remind us and to reassure us that we belong to God and we are a child of God because God wants us to rest in his love and in his mercy. Now verse 17. So if we're children of God, what does that mean? If we're children of God, then we're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. In other words, it's the family. Is there something going on over there? I see a fire. 
sparkly effect. I think that's what it was. But I appreciate your concern that we're all safe. (laughs) We don't want the church on fire while the pastor's preaching. (laughs) All right, so let's finish up with verse 17. So as we've looked at this passage where we have a a, a debt, we're debtors, uh, we're children of God, glorious truth, and now finally the last point for this morning is we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So so normally we think of, um, you know, when we're heirs, we think of the fact that somebody has to die, and then somebody leaves their estate to us. That's typically what we think of in, in our, our understanding of heirs, but God is not going to die. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's never going to die again. But we're considered heirs because God has a lot of good things in store for us. Um, he'll guide us and lead us and direct us in this life, but when Jesus comes at the second coming of Jesus... Oh boy, we're going to receive a lot more things. We're going to receive a lot more of God's grace. In fact, I think of um, 1 Peter chapter 1, that we have an inheritance uh, reserved for us in heaven that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, and that does not fade away. And then Peter goes on in, in chapter 1, verse 13 there, and he says that we are to gird up the loose ends of our mind and set our hope fully, completely, totally in the grace of God that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot more grace, a lot more goodness, a lot more gifts of God are going to be poured out on us at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they also think of uh, 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, where the if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'll probably just end up with this parallel passage here. Uh, but in 1 John chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 2, this is a good parallel passage to what we're studying in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're told there that God has a lot of good things in store for us. We're, we're being conformed into Christ's likeness. And, and when Jesus comes, we'll be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. And I think this is speaking of all of our uh, future benefits. I think it's certainly speaking of the fact that we'll be raised from the dead. We'll have a new resurrection body like that of Jesus. We'll be no longer subject to the... The, the very presence of sin. So if you're there now in 1 John chapter 3, notice this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. In other words, the world doesn't recognize us or respect us or love us because it didn't love, respect, or recognize Jesus. Verse 2, Beloved, now... In other words, right now in this life, it's not, it's not at the second coming of Jesus we're going to become children of God. Right now, at the moment of saving faith, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. See, now John is thinking about the future. We're going to become different than we are now. It has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when Jesus is revealed, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. We're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Seeing that, we suffer together with him, we're going to be glorified together with him. Uh, just as Jesus entered into the realm of our humanity and he knew what it was like to suffer, he suffered rejection, he was beaten, despised, nailed to a cross, and he suffered uh, death. We certainly know what it's like to suffer. We're in a human weakness, we're in a human condition. But notice the order, seeing that we suffer together with Jesus, that we may also be glorified together. Suffering comes first, then the glory comes next. And of course the Apostle Paul is going to go on now and talk more about what it means to be glorified. And we'll study uh, the next section, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. But just keep in mind the wonderful privilege that is ours. We have a new debt to pay to the Holy Spirit because we have the gift of the Spirit. We're sons and daughters of God. We're children of God. And think of all that, that that means as we're able to run to God and cry out, Abba, Father. And we're heirs of God. There's so much more goodness of God, so many more gifts of God that are going to be given to us. We are truly the object of God's love and God's interest and God's concern. Now let's pray and ask God, God, help me to appreciate all of these truths. And just to be able to say thank you to you a a million times over and to love you back. Let's pray. Lord God, we have been reading and thinking about wonderful things in your word. Uh, Things that are hard for our minds to fully grasp. They are so wonderful. Now, Lord, help us to love you back. Help us to consider it an honor and a privilege to be your children, sons and daughters of God. To be heirs of God, heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. As we suffer in this life, only looking forward to the glory that will be ours when Jesus comes. So, Lord, help us to persevere. Help us to be faithful to you. And Lord, because of these verses that we have read and studied and reflected on this morning, I pray that you would put within all of us a profound sense of joy and peace. Lord, help us to delight ourselves in you and to truly enjoy all of the benefits, all of the privileges of this wonderful and glorious salvation that you have given to us. We ask this in the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus, to whom belongs praise throughout all eternity. Amen. Amen. The final hymn is hymn number 14, one of the great hymns of Charles Wesley. Um, it's entitled, Arise, My Soul, Arise. And I think I programmed, we'll find out when I, he turns on. I think I programmed the first, the second, and the last, but I'll know when he... <laughs> so let's stand as we sing hymn number 14. It goes right along with our Bible lesson this morning. Hymn number 14. Lovely 